Hello and welcome back to the PAL with Tani G. I'm your host, Tani G. We're in season two using the Pirke Elvis Treasury and Ethics of the Fathers Pirke Elvis. Questions, comments, suggestions are always welcome at MaximumTEE at Yahoo.com. One Mishnah per podcast, and then we talk about the comments after going through the Mishnah. Again, we might be on and off for the next few weeks because of the holidays, but hopefully we'll get on track, God willing, we nether to try to do about four a week on weeknights, not including the Sabbath, because we can't do it on the Sabbath. Yehuda ben Tabai v'Shimon ben Shatach kiblu mehen. Yehuda ben Tabai and Shimon ben Shatach received the tradition from them, from Yeshua ben Prachai and Nitai of Arbel. Yehuda ben Tabai Omer, Yehuda ben Tabai says, Atas atzmacha ke'orche hadayanim. When serving as a judge, do not act as a lawyer. While the litigants stand before you, they should be considered as guilty. It says Rishaim, but we say guilty. But when they are dismissed from you, consider them both as innocent. Provided they have accepted the judgment. So it's interesting the words used here, where it says Rishain, even though that's used for being guilty, and then it says Zakain for innocent. Interesting. So even though Yehuda ben Tabai is mentioned first as a dispute, whether he was Nasi or Avbezin, were in the comments, fa- uh, ahead of the court, following the opinion that he was indeed the Nasi, Yerushalmi relates how he came to do that. The citizens of Yerushalayim sought to appoint him over themselves, and his modesty fled to Egypt rather than accept their position. And they said, From the great Jerusalem to the humble Alexandria, how long will my betrothed reside in your midst while I sit here brokenhearted? So then he returned and accepted the post, and you should know that the office was fraught with much danger during the murderous reign of King Yanai. Shimon ben Shatach was the brother of Yanai's queen, Shalomis Alexandra, known as Shalom Zion. When Yanai got rid of the Taurus ages, she hid her brother, and by the time he was able to return to public life, he was the sole remaining member of the Sanhedrin, still loyal to Torah Judaism. The rest were Sadukim, who denied the validity of the oral law, which helps explain the written law. Because of his wisdom and shrewdness, he was eventually able to oust the Sadducees, the Sadukim from the Sanhedrin. He did a lot of things. He enacted two things, the Kasuva, the marriage document, expanding the protection of married women, and established the first Jewish elementary schools, particularly for the benefit of children without fathers. Such children had no one at home to teach them Torah, so the schools became a necessity, as Yerushalmi Kasubas explains. So when serving as a judge, a judge must always remain an impartial arbiter. Even if he is convinced that one of the parties is right, he should not advise that litigant how to present his case. So we should always try to be neutral, especially when a person is a judge, and see that everybody is really not innocent, but when they leave, that they should be innocent. So guilty until proven innocent, which is really the opposite of American law, which is innocent until proven guilty, Lahabdal. So the dictum is not only for judges. One should not offer unsolicited legal advice to a litigant who will cause loss to another party, for a Torah scholar is in proper to do so even on behalf of a relative. It's however permitted to offer such advice to prevent one's own relative from incurring loss. And don't act as a lawyer, employing your powers of debate and persuasion to justify the litigant whose position logically and instinctively seems to you to be correct. Objectively weigh only the claims and counterclaims 
presented by the involved parties and the testimony of bona fide witnesses. When the trial is in process, a judge must be skeptical of all litigants as if they were evildoers. This allows them to remain objective, establish authenticity of statements involved, and find the truth. If you view all sides as righteous and honest, you would never succeed in uncovering duplicity. And both litigants and strife would be, in a most subtle fashion, indicative of evil. Therefore, standing also shows that the practice of judges sitting in court while the litigants stand. When they're dismissed from you, consider them as innocent. As long as the parties are before the judge, you must view them both as equally unreliable and evaluate the allegations against them objectively, dispassionately, without regard to personality, slowly, solely on the merit of their testimony for their disputes in which even the best man may be in the wrong and the worst man in the right. On the other hand, once the parties have accepted the verdict, the judge must not carry into civilian life any adverse impressions he may have subconsciously obtained of either party and must regard them both as especially guilty-free. And on the bottom, it explains two hats. May Maroma offers an insight into the dual characteristics necessary to ensure true justice. Human judges must follow the divine model in that in their approach to administering justice. Just as God, the true judge, is involved in the most intimate details of human affairs and and is also separated from them, so the human judge must intellectually be fully aware and empathetic toward the claims of the litigants, but can't act as counsel for them and retain total impartiality. And this should also be to self-judgment. We tend to employ all types of convoluted arguments and logic to justify our shortcomings. Our creativity in arguing our innocence rivals that of the sharpest lawyers. The mission is showing that when we judge ourselves, we should not act as a lawyer who is unwilling to admit the guilt of his client. A person can never improve if he cannot face the reality of his shortcomings. Guilt is painful, but it is from such pain that spiritual health emerges. In an evil duel, when Yaakov Yosef of Square was a young man, an old Hasim, Hasid asked him if he was considering entering the rabbit, and when he grew older, he answered, We are taught, while the litigants stand before you, view them as if they were evildoers. I am simply unable to view any Jew for even a moment as an evildoer. So from this Mishnah, we should see how we should judge if we are judges. We shouldn't really judge anyone to begin with, but if you're judging people, then when they're before you, seek out the truth, ferret out the truth, and when they leave, seek them as innocent. And when judging ourselves, we shouldn't always be so harsh on ourselves, and we should apply the same logic when we try to think of how any nuance could be gotten out of or anything could be explained, so too when don't don't downplay ourselves and don't look at ourselves in a bad way, but try to have truth in ourselves and try to have strength in ourselves and see ourselves as good and inherently doing good things and try to involve such things when we try to, when we do doubt ourselves and we do get down on ourselves, try to use the same logic so that we can build ourselves up and have optimism and have the ability to have the strength and character to stand before God and to do good in this world as much as we can, as often as we can, whenever we can. Join us next time as we move over to the ninth paragraph in chapter one here in Pirkei Elvis Treasury, season two of the PAL with Tani G. See you next time, and I'm your host, Tani G.